Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you have opened such a channel of communication between us and you. Lord, as we share this time, we want our hearts to be convicted of the necessity of spending time with you. Maybe the reason why we, we don't see more power in the life is because we've learned to live without it. And I pray, Lord, that as we share this time together, that every single one of us, myself included, Lord, that we would sense heaven calling us to spend time with you, set apart in secret prayer. Lord, I pray that you would bless each one here for having been here. I pray that it would be your words that speak to their hearts and not mine. But Lord, I do pray that you would speak through me. I pray for a power from on high that I can't manufacture, but that you would be with me and that my tongue would be used for your glory. So Lord, we humble ourselves before you. And we ask for your help now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I think some are still coming in here. Well, let me just give a little brief introduction of this week. Is that blurry? Oh, that's the wrong one. I don't know, maybe that's as good as it gets. So we're going to be looking at four parts. Today we're going to be looking at a life of power. This is more setting the platform and understanding the necessity and the, the wonderful strength that prayer can bring. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we're going to be getting into the, the more the practical elements of a powerful prayer life. And so... Today setting that foundation, and then we're going to be breaking this down as we go through, through the week. Today we're looking at a life of power. How many of you would like to have more spiritual strength and power in your lives? Amen. Amen. I believe that that's not just, you know, pie in the sky. I believe that God intends for us to have strength and power to make decisions, to make a path through our life that is following after His will. So, let's begin. This comes from Councils on Health, page 162. We're going to start the foundation looking at the life of Jesus. Ellen White says, The Savior's life on earth was a life of communion with nature and with God. In this communion, he revealed the what? He revealed for us the secret of a life of power. So he says, look at the Savior's life. When you see how he spent his time, his life was just submerged in God's 
two books in nature and in the scriptures, but also part of that, he had a communion with God. And in that communion, he revealed to us the secret to a life of power. Youth instructor April 1, 1873, she just comes right out and says it. The strength of Christ was where? I mean, doesn't that just blow your mind? That Christ, who, it, who when he was incarnate, was fully God and fully man. Christ, who, who knew the glory of heaven in that special uh, hidden counsel with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus on this earth, his power, his strength was where? I mean, to me, that just blows my mind that Christ found his strength in prayer. Now, I, I believe that we all, in some sense, understand and, and in, innately know that prayer is important. But I, I want to impress upon each of us today that prayer is not just important, it is vital if we're going to have a walk as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, as a remnant people in these last days. Amen. The strength of Christ was where? In prayer. In prayer. Education, page 81. As a man, he supplicated the throne of God till his what? Humanity. Till his humanity was charged with a heavenly current. Amen. I mean, just think about that. He is there pleading at the throne of God. And as he does, there is a power that comes upon him. And she uses the, that word, charged with a heavenly current. When I think about that, I think about going and, and sticking your finger in an outlet or something. I mean, where there is definitely a change that comes over the life when there is that connection. I mean, Christ, he would go to that time of prayer and he was charged with a heavenly current that connected humanity with divinity. Receiving life from God, he imparted life to men. I mean, just, just let that sink into the mind. We're talking about Christ. He had a work to do, but he knew that he could not accomplish that work unless he was first charged with that heavenly current that power in his life that would bring life from God and give life to mankind. I mean, isn't that incredible? Amen. Now I want to spend just a few moments here in Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. We're setting the platform to understanding that there is, there can be a life of power through prayer. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 102. This is a little lengthy passage, but I, I want to unpack this because I think this gives us such an incredible insight into the, the life of Christ 
and how he had that communion with his father. The Lord's Prayer was twice given by our Savior. So you remember, we read that on the, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and the Lord says, in this manner you should pray. And how does that prayer go? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he walks through that, right? He's giving a, an example, a model of prayer. First, he gave it to the multitude in the Sermon on the Mount, and again, some months later, to the disciples alone. You know, when I look at that, I think, there are times where we may know things, we may have heard things, we may have read things, but there comes a time where we need to be reminded of them. And Christ, as he has his disciples alone with him, he comes to them and he pulls them apart and he, wa he wants to instruct them in a life of prayer so that they will have a life of power. The disciples had been for a short time absent from their Lord. When on their return, they found him absorbed in communion with God. Seeming unconscious of their presence, he continued praying aloud. So they've been away. They're coming back to, to meet with Christ. And there he is off in the distance a little bit. And they see him praying. I mean, there have been times where I've just thought about this. I just thought, Lord, I wish I could see Christ praying. <laughs> I just wish I could just behold that even for a moment. I mean, there is a profound impression that is placed upon the heart and mind when you see someone that loves the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their strength, with all their soul. When they open that heart to God and you are able to see that, there's a profound impression that is placed upon the life. I mean, there have been just a few moments in my life where I've happened to come upon someone and see someone in that secret prayer. Now, I've seen lots of people in prayer and maybe that secret prayer, but there have been a few that I've seen that just made me just shrink back and think, Lord, I want that kind of connection with you. And I just think as the disciples came upon Christ, they, their eyes, they saw a living connection. And they knew that that's something they wanted. But Christ, seeming unconscious of their presence, he continues praying aloud. Now that's one of the secrets to secret prayer is praying aloud. You know, sometimes we, we struggle with our minds wandering. You know, sometimes if you wake up early in the morning, you know, I mean, I'm human, I'll just admit it. I mean, there have been times where I've been on my knees in prayer and, and then all of a sudden I'll think, did I just fall asleep? But as you pray aloud, as you train yourself to pray aloud, it keeps those 
those elements from slipping in so quickly. It's, it's much easier to keep the mind on track. And tomorrow when we talk more about this, I'm going to show you some things that can just enrich and ignite your prayers so that you'll, you'll have the burden of prayer when you come to that time of prayer. But he's praying aloud, the Savior's face was irradiated. I mean, it's a glow with a celestial brightness. I mean, the glory of heaven, if there is truly a connection from earth to heaven through prayer, you would think that there would be some some, uh, visual, uh, just some visual evidence of it. You know, often I think about, you know, just our countenances, how important it is. You know, you, you look in Scripture, and you, I've gone through Scripture and just and looked at those areas about how much the Bible talks about the countenance and how even if, even if inside you're, you feel down, if you lift the countenance, how it lifts the inside. I mean, it's incredible. Here and here, Christ is he's in prayer, and, and his countenance is showing a connection with heaven. You know, one of the best exercises to train yourself to do is smile. <laughs> Learning to smile. Learning to, to bring the joy of heaven down through your heart and out your countenance. And let people sense that there is a joy even in this earth with so much trial, so much pain, so much difficulty. But Jesus was known as a man of what? Man of sorrows. But he wasn't gloomy. No. I mean, when people came... Have you ever seen a, a gloomy person attract little children? <laughs> no, Jesus was one. His countenance was lifted. He, was, he had a joy in his heart from his father where he would attract even the little children to come to him. And yet he was a man of sorrow because he knew the effects of sin and, and the work that he had come to do. He knew that. And in prayer, he was connected and he had that heavenly current that was coming to charge to charge him for service. I mean, just a moment. This is just going to blow your socks off. I'm just telling you, this is incredible. Watch this. He seemed to be in the very presence of the unseen, and there was a living power in his words as of one who spoke with God. The hearts of the listening disciples were deeply moved. They're listening to this. They had marked how often he spent long hours in solitude in communion with his Father. Don't think that your actions and your habits go unnoticed by others. People pay attention. Even in your own home, your family will notice the habit and the pattern of your life. They'll know that if you have that secret place of prayer, that that is a sacred time. And not only will they give you that time, 
but it'll have an influence on them. Every time they see you go to that time, the Spirit of God is going to be speaking to their own hearts. You know, our oldest son, Elijah, I told you before, he's 15. We were living in College Dale when he was a baby. You know, well, he was born there in my senior year there at Southern. And he was just a little one. And Shelly would, I have to admit, you know, if it was the night, she, had to, she was the one who got up. She would, you know, poke me and I'd act like I didn't feel it, you know. <laughs> but early in the morning, you know, I would get up and, and Elijah would wake up. And so I would take him. And from his earliest years, I would hold him in my lap. I had, we, we were very poor students and so we didn't have a lot of money to turn on the heater. But I had this little, like, heating, like a boot you stick your feet in and they have a heater. And so I'd be sitting there, and I would just tuck them right down in there. And as I would study and then, and then pray. And it just kind of happened as, I mean, for years. He would go from there, and then he was a little bit older. And then when he was about, you know, four or five, when he was starting, he was, he was you know, a sharp young boy, so he would be there mimicking me, you know, in my devotions. And till about seven, and then he started, you know, going off on his own time. Uh, but, you know, it was probably, probably went three or four years. And then one, one day he came to me and he said, this is when we were living in Lansing, we were pastoring there in the Lansing church, came to me and he said, Daddy, can I come and do devotions with you again? And, and he came back in there, and he was ter- probably 12, 13, and he sat there to get on track again. He felt himself slipping. And, you know, I, I just praise the Lord for that. But my point with that is that my children would know that I had that time. And I would hear them, you know, coming up, and they'd listen at they still do, you know, listen at door to see if I'm still in my devotions. And, and they don't bother me. They, they know that I, I need that time and place of prayer and Bible study. And they know also by that, but that it encourages them to do that. And sometimes, you know, I'll ask them, so how are your devotions this morning? And they'll, they'll tell me, oh, I read this or that, or... Or sometimes they'll go, you know. <laughs> and I try not to, to rebuke my, my children. I want, I want them to see that as a, not as a, just a duty. And it, it, I, I want to be very clear in this. It is a duty as a Christian. Sometimes we're afraid to say, you know, there are spiritual disciplines. A disciple is a, one who has been disciplined in the teaching, Right? There is a discipline. There are times where I wake up and I don't feel like it. <laughs> I don't feel like that time and place of prayer. And yet, I'm compelled to it. But the thing is, is that you need that time. And as they watched, they, they noticed that Christ took that time. Jesus, I mean, how he spent long hours in what? 
in solitude. There's a place for family worship, and I hope that you have family worship together every day. It's a, it is so important. Even when your children are, you know, this big, it's just they grow up and it's a part of their life and character to be having that time of, of worship. Now, if your children are gone, I encourage you to have that time of family worship. You know, you and your spouse, or, or if you're alone, then, of course, your family is, is with the Lord. <laughs> and so you have that. But that is not a substitute for that time alone with God. There needs to be time alone with God. There, you will never pray with others like you'll pray alone. And there are times where you should not pray with others the way you would pray alone, right? I do, I do, okay. I do. And depending on the context, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you pray loud. Other times it's, it's like, you're, I always pray, but sometimes it's a whisper even. Just depends on, you know, sometimes I, I need the Lord to help me to be in the place of, of joyous rapture. Sometimes they're just the burdens of life and you're just groaning with the Lord. And, but I do try and pray out loud, not in my, in my mind. Now you'll read, you know, Nehemiah, he's, he's, uh, he's there before uh, the king and, and he sends a prayer up in his mind, right? The Bible says. So there is a place for that. But in that secret place of prayer, it should be, I'm not saying it's a command, I'm just saying it's an example of Christ that, that we can follow. Are you still with me? I'm going to try and stay on track here, because I have a lot to cover. Okay, we go till 9.45, I believe, is that right? I'm at 10.45, I'm already late. 10.45, okay. Where was I? His days were passed in ministry to the crowds that pressed upon him. So let this, let this uh, permeate in your mind here. And in unveiling the treacherous sophistry of the rabbis, there's nothing that will drain you more than the criticism and, and bitterness and all these things that surround us in this life as Christians. And I'm sorry, am I totally blocking you? <laughs> and this incessant labor often left him so utterly wearied that his mother and brothers and even his disciples had feared that his life would be sacrificed. You may think that you have a busy life. You may think, how in the world can I set aside time for prayer? I have this, I have this, I have this. I'm just here to tell you or remind you that there was not a life more busy, more pressured, more filled with the attack of the enemy than that of Jesus Christ. His brothers, his 
own mother, his disciples, as they watched him, the, the weight of everything upon him so strongly, they thought that his life would be sacrificed. Even before, you know, they're thinking about the, the leaders destroying him or the cross. They thought just his labor for humanity was going to destroy him. I mean, I just think of it. Christ's labor was going to kill him, they thought. But as he returned from the hours of prayer that closed the toilsome day, they marked the look of peace upon his face, the sense of refreshment that seemed to pervade his presence. So he's so wearied, he's so burdened, he is just, his humanity is at the, the very length of its ability. And he goes to that time of prayer, and he comes out of that time of prayer. There's a sense of refreshment. I mean, what does that tell you? That tells me that there is something supernatural and divine that happens in that time of prayer. Now, we're going to talk about this more tomorrow. I'm not one of those... I, I, I'm not an extremist. I don't think we should sacrifice health for this. Christ had a ministry, and I think we need to, as much as we can, we want to follow His example. We'll never feel the weight that He felt. But there are things in Christ's life that were absent that may be present in ours. There are things in our lives that may have to be <laughs> replaced for there to be that time of prayer. And we'll look at that more tomorrow. But they saw something. They, they saw the, the wearied Christ. And then they saw the renewed, strengthened Christ. It was from hours spent with God that He came forth morning by morning to bring the light of heaven to men. And now this, this is incredible here. The disciples had come to connect his hours of prayer with the power of his words and works. They're watching this. They're there with Christ. And Jesus isn't just, just spelling it out for them. He wants them to catch it. He wants them to connect the dots so they will notice and know for themselves that they must have what he has. They watch his time with the Lord. Then they watch his labor among men. And then they watch him coming from those times of prayer. And they begin to connect it. You know, when he did that, that must have been that time of prayer. When, when he had that wisdom, that must have been from that. They're, they're connecting it. Now, as they listened to his supplication, we're going back. This is, 
they've, they've stumbled upon Christ in prayer. And they're listening. You know, I would not want to interrupt that. <laughs> I'd want to listen as much as I could to hear the Lord pray. As they listened to his supplications, supplication, their hearts were awed and humbled. As they ceased praying, it was a conviction of their own deep need that they exclaimed, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And that is the prayer of my heart. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to have that living connection with heaven so that we may have a life of power. That we may have a life that is evident that there is power from on high. You know what they say about ministers? Pastor doesn't pray for a day, he'll know it. Doesn't pray for a week, his wife will know it. <laughs> he doesn't pray for a month, the whole church will know it. One of my great fears, though, is that we have not seen the evidence of the power of God in the life. You know, when, when you come and you look at the, the work of ministry in, in 1 Timothy, the work of, of the elder, often I've thought about that, and, and Ellen White makes a comment on the ministry. She says, the reason why we don't see as much of the power of the Holy Spirit is because we've li- learned to live without it. And where it should be that if you don't pray for a day, you'll know it. But is that always the case? Or if we didn't pray for a week, that, that our, our family would look at us and they would know because they would recognize that there would be a loss of that power in the life from heaven. Or the church that they would say, you know, I could tell, <laughs> you know, our pastor that he usually has this, but he, there's something happening that we would encourage. You know, I, I think we need, to, we need to be more bold and more direct with each other. We need, to, we need to be willing to challenge each other and ask each other, you know, how is your devotional life going? How is your prayer life going? And that's, that's what the Wesleys, the early, the movement, the, that first great awakening they would come and they'd meet each other and they'd say do I meet you praying they, they wanted to know that they were that they were surrounded by those who loved the Lord and were praying and asking God to give them power I'm telling you look at the movements of these those who have a life of prayer, it is evident there has not been one revival. There has not been one great awakening. There has not been one great movement in the work of God that has been done by someone who was not a man or a woman of prayer. Amen. I mean, you go and look at the great revivals. They start by one person seeking God. And asking God to do a work through them. I mean, it's just incredible. Ellen White says that. 
That revival, when revival begins, it begins by one person seeking the Lord. And then God does something in their life. I've seen that in families a hundred times. Oh yeah, the family is, is religious. <laughs> but then in the fa- someone in the family gets a spark. And that influence just ignites. And then it spreads in the church. And you see the evidence of it and the influence of it. The disciples, they recognized that there was a divine power in prayer. They come to Christ and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Now we know that it took them a little bit to learn this. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He'd ask them to do what? Watch and pray. To be vigilant. To guard that hour of prayer that he was calling them to. And so Jesus, he's there. It's interesting that Ellen White tells us at that prayer, I mean, this is just fascinating, that when Jesus went to pray, that he was still within the sight and hearing of the disciples. There in Gethsemane, the power of darkness is weighing upon them. They, They wanted to pray. They wanted to pray. The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. We have to train ourselves. You know, how many of you, if I put up a pull-up bar right here, how many could go do 50 pull-ups? <laughs> Maybe, I don't know, 50, even 10. Some could. But if you trained, eventually the spirit might be willing, but the flesh would be, would be weak. But you could strengthen that by exercise. So they saw that. But there was something that was still lacking. They were overcome. But Jesus said in verse 36, sit here while I pray, I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to what? Even to death. Before they thought that, now Jesus himself is saying it. I don't know why he says that as he entered Gethsemane. If they had not, if the disciples were not there to catch him, he would have fallen to the ground. He stumbled in agony into that garden. And he tells them, I'm sorrowful even to death. And then he says, Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face, and then he begins to pray. Disciples, they are overcome with sleep, his sorrow. There are times we feel so overwhelmed that it's hard to even open the mouth to prayer. 
I've been there. I know that. But there is a power that comes when the mouth is opened. And you may not think that you can, but as you open your mouth to that time of prayer, God gives us strength. And we know that if the disciples would have prayed, they would not have what? They would not have entered into that temptation. Jesus came and he said to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. I believe Christ is still saying that to his disciples today. Watch and pray. The thing that I don't want Christ to say to me is, What? Could you not watch with me? One hour. You know, I've wept bitter tears when I've heard the Lord say that to me. And I just think of the time that I have lost that I wish I could regain for the Lord and for His service. I think all through the disciples' lives, they would go back to Gethsemane. And when they were tempted to miss that time of prayer, they'd hear the words of Jesus, can't you watch with me one hour? You know, even though it was a, a, a terrible experience that they went through, God could work even that for good. I don't know what your experience is in prayer. I don't know if you've started and fallen, started and fallen, or maybe you have a strong prayer life now. Maybe you've never had a prayer life. But the Lord can use that past experience even for good if we surrender to Him. It could be a reminder to us. I think of my earlier days, and I am still young. You can see that. <laughs> I probably look younger than sometimes me and Elijah because he's taller than me now. People, if I'm not dressed in a suit or whatever, they think we're brothers. Um, until they hear how we talk. <laughs> um, he, my, my, he's 15, but he still calls me daddy, and I'm, I'm not going to change it. <laughs> um, but I think of those years, and I think, Lord, forgive me. But it's a reminder to me. It's a reminder. I never want to be in a place in my life where I don't have that connection. I, I need that connection. I crave it. I want it more than anything. And it's like, you know, I, I want the heart of Moses where even in that close presence of God, he's still not satisfied. Lord, please show me your glory. Show me your character. Show me who you are. And let me be found after your character. But they did learn. We know that the book of Acts testifies to it. I'll just briefly fly through here. I've been enjoying the early morning sermons, looking at the book of Acts. And especially this morning, the you know, the giving of the life to the service and care of others and how our, our good works can bring glory to God. You know, Matthew 5.16, where that says that, 
I've thought, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do you know the ultimate way our influence helps people to glorify the God in heaven? You know how that is? How do we give... Well, let me give you a Bible quiz here. Where in the Bible do we read, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. Revelation 14, and we know that as the three angels' message, uh, specifically the first angels' message. And since you probably all were at Unlock Revelation, (laughs) when we say fear God and give glory to Him, we're talking about how we what? Live our lives. Right? So as our good works cause other people to give glory to God, ultimately, how do we want them to give glory to God? In the way they live. Not just the word of the mouth, but the change of the life, the habit and character. But they learn. So let's go through. I want to just look at a a couple perspectives here in the book of Acts. Acts 2, 42 to 43, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and the breaking of bread and in what? In prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So as they kept to the word of God and kept to the time and importance of prayer, what happened? There was Something incredible that happened. It says, then fear came upon every soul. They began to see that this movement had the power of God attending it. You know, when you go and you read early Adventist history, it is evident that the power of God was very present. People looked and they would say, this could not have happened unless the hand of God was upon it. That's because they were at prayer, earnest prayer. For Acts 4.31, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They're, they're, they're praying, they have that connection with heaven, God gives them boldness, and they are speaking and acting in a way that is different than they naturally would. What happened in Gethsemane? The shepherd was stricken, and what happened to the sheep? They all scattered. But now there's a difference about them. There's a boldness that attends them. I'm telling you, you may... Be the shyest person in the world. I'm a very shy person. You know, I've thought, Lord, I could be more like John the Baptist and just go out in the wilderness and and hide in a cave. I mean, you know, I could go out and... I, I love getting out in nature and just sitting there. I could just sit there in the stillness And never go. (laughs) But God puts a burden on you. He puts a boldness in you. 
And you cannot keep silent. You can't do it. You cannot. I do an experiment. <laughs> I'm telling you, you cannot keep silent. Because people will see it and they'll come and they'll ask you and you'll be forced to say something. <laughs> they spoke with boldness. Acts 5.14, and the believers increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. They prayed. There was something that was alive in the church. And it began to move rapidly. Acts 6, 3 and 4, therefore, brethren, we heard this, this morning, the distribution was not happening among the Greeks. So he says, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. What does that tell you right there? What does this mean? How could they be full of the Holy Spirit? These were men of prayer. We cannot, we, we cannot miss these things. They, they sought out men of good reputation. People saw that they were. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's only one way that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is by having a life of prayer. Yes. That's right. That's right. I loved what um, the great early revivalist said. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Jonathan, is it Jonathan Evans? No, it's not Jonathan Edwards. Ev Evans Robertson. Evans Roberts. <laughs> it's, it's something like that. But he, he would pray, make my cup deep, Lord. Make my cup deep so I can be filled with that much more of your Holy Spirit. Make my cup deep, Lord. <laughs> He'd say, bend me. Bend me, O Lord, to your will. But they did this, why? Because they recognized that they could allow nothing to keep them from prayer. And the fruit of that life with God was the ministry of the Word. They knew that they couldn't allow that to keep them. Acts chapter 12, we know that the church could see the evidence in the power of prayer. You know, they pray. <laughs> the, the church is in crises. They pray and God does a wonderful miracle. This here is a picture, well, it's a painting of, we have no idea what he looked like. Anyone know who that is? It could be anyone in the Bible, right? <laughs> this, is, this, is a, this is a painting of, of James. Not James the Apostle, but James the brother of Jesus. And I love, I love his story. It's in, uh, you, have to, you have to be careful with some of the stories that come from the early churches. Sometimes you take it with a grain of salt because sometimes there can be a tendency. I'm not talking about biblical stories. I'm talking about the, the 
historical writings of that time. But in, in the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs, I don't know if you've ever read that book. Don't read it before you try to go to sleep. <laughs> I just, uh, you know, I, I've tried that and I just can't sleep because my mind is just so filled with uh, the experience that they went through. But James, the brother of Jesus, at first he rejected Jesus as the Messiah. He didn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And then he was converted. He became a powerful leader in the early Christian church. And he came to not only see Jesus as his brother, but as his Lord and Master. But history, history tells us that he was such a man of prayer. He went into the temple day after day pleading, kind of like um, you find Daniel pleading for the sins of, of the nation. You see that in Daniel chapter 9. And this is what I love about his story, is that he was so committed to prayer that they said he's, he lost feeling in his knees. He'd go and, and kneel in the temple, and he's there on the hard ground, and he lost feeling in his knees, and, and they said he got knees like the knees of a, of a camel because he's always in prayer. I've thought, I've thought that, you know, when we interview pastors, you know, we, we get resumes and all those things. I've thought about just saying, the only thing I need to know, <laughs> lift up your, the leg of your pants. <laughs> Let me see the evidence. Let me see the evidence of a life of prayer. James has that they were so um, enraged, the, the Pharisees and the Jerusalem leaders, they were so upset because they thought that everyone was going to follow Christ. And you read that in the book of Acts, that even of the leadership of Jerusalem, many became obedient to the faith. And so since James had such profound influence... They asked him to come. It was Passover. They asked him to come and address the people and tell them not to follow Christ. So what they did is they took him and they put him on top of the temple to address the multitudes. And instead of saying that he wasn't the Christ, of course he confesses Christ and calls them all to follow him. And in their anger, they took him and they threw him off of the, the temple. And, but the fall didn't kill him, and he rolls over onto his knees and he begins to pray. And he says, Lord, forgive them. You can find that in the book of Fox, the Book of Martyrs. Mm -hmm. And I can look up that page number for you later too. But he rolls over and he begins to pray, and they pick up stones and start to stone him, and then someone comes finally and ends his life by hitting him and striking him down. But you just see the character of a life of prayer. I mean, Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them. Stephen being stoned, Father, forgive them. I mean, no thought of self. Just, Lord, use me in my life 
for the work that you could do in the lives of others. But here's, this is where I'm moving here. And this is where I want to get very, very real and serious with you. Prayer, a life of prayer, is hard work. I do not know a harder work that I've ever experienced than prayer. It is a, sometimes it's the greatest joy, sometimes it's the greatest painstaking work that you could ever do. It is hard work. Everybody wants the power that prayer will bring. Everybody wants the strength of life and character. Everybody wants the the lifted countenance that prayer can bring. But very few are willing to pay the sacrifice of a life of prayer. To set that time and to meet God day after day after day. Very few are willing to pick up that cross to follow Christ. In the book of Acts, you see an example of this. It's Simon. He's been baptized. He's confessed Christ. And yet his heart is unconverted. He follows that because he wants to be connected with the power and the appeal that Christianity is bringing. I'm telling you, there are a lot of people that are going to come into this movement because it sounds good, it makes sense, but when it comes to trial, they're going to fall away. Friends, I'm telling you, there is a shaking that's going to come upon us, uh, the likes we have never seen. And unless we are rooted in Christ, we're going to be shaken. But Simon, he wanted the power He saw the apostles. They're laying their hands on people and they're receiving the Holy Spirit. And then he comes and he says, I want that power. And he tries to buy it. He doesn't want to sacrifice for it. He does not want to go and humble himself and pick up that cross to have the power of God. He wants to purchase it. Friends, I'm telling you, you cannot, you cannot get this any other way than sacrifice. You cannot have a life of power. You cannot have a life of prayer unless there's a sacrifice. Every morning when you get up, it'll be a sacrifice. It'll be something that you're taking from other things to devote to the time of prayer. We cannot get it any other way. Notice this, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 509. The secret of success is the union of divine power with human effort. Those who achieve the greatest results are those who rely most implicitly upon the almighty arm. The man who commanded, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Agilon, is the man who for what? Who for hours lay prostrate upon the earth in prayer in the camp of Gilgal. It's not that he just went out and said, I want this, Son, stand still. No, he had been on his face 
on the ground pleading with God to do a work for his people. The men of, of prayer are the men of power. You want to see power in your life? Take time to pray. You know what the secret to a life of prayer is? That it is a life of prayer. <laughs> right? The secret to a life of prayer is that it is a life of prayer. It's a life of prayer. You take that time. I know some people aren't morning people. I know that. I know that. How many times I want to just keep sleeping? <laughs> and there are times where I have. And I failed my Lord. But then he calls me. and say, thank you, Lord, for not casting me away. <laughs> but make it the habit of your life. You know you can change a habit? You can change a habit. You know, when Shelly and I, we, when we first got married, we, were, we went to South Korea as missionaries. It's before we had children. We went there six weeks after we were married. And she had never been on a plane before. <laughs> she grew up in Ohio. She was, you know, born and raised in the same house or in the same town. And I get, take her on a plane to another country, another culture. And it was quite uh, a wake-up call to her. She cried for weeks for me to take her home. Aww. And then, uh, then she grew to love the work there. But the Korean people wake up, well, the older generation, they wake up early. And many times I would, you know, wake up early to go climb the, they have mountains all around, go climb the mountain to, to spend time in prayer. And, you know, at four o'clock in the morning, there are, I couldn't believe it. There were not one or two, there were so many people going and climbing those mountains. And I went, I mean, some of I mean, they're, I mean, they're probably in their 80s some of them, and they're climbing this mountain. I'm just like, you know, I'm huffing and puffing up the mountain. And, but I went past this, this one morning, I went past this, and I, this little uh, open area where a break in the trees, and you could see out over the city of Seoul. And I saw these uh, two Koreans there pleading with God for the city of Seoul. I couldn't understand them. I could understand a, a little bit. They were praying in Korean. <laughs> but they were weeping, pleading with God. And I thought, Lord, that's, this is why the Korean nation is the strongest Christian uh, nation among the, the Asian nations. You know, when you fly into Seoul, well, it used to be into Seoul, now it's over in Incheon, but you fly in there and you look out, if it's a clear night, you look out over the city, you see hundreds of these little uh, neon red crosses all over the city. I think, Lord, bring a mighty awakening to the city, not just to Jesus, 
but to the fullness of Jesus in the truth. And I believe He's going to do that. But, I mean, there is a sacrifice in prayer. And you may, you may not be a morning person, but I'm telling you, the Lord is going to make you a morning person because you're going to say, Lord, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. And I need that time of prayer in the morning. I must have it. I'll give you a couple tips tomorrow about that. The men of prayer are the men of power. Do you want a life of prayer? Yes. If you have a life of prayer, you can't help it. You'll have a life of power. Gospel Workers, page 259. The greatest victories gained for the cause of God are not the result of labored argument, ample facilities, wide influence, or the abundance of means. They are gained in the audience chamber with God when with earnest, agonizing faith, men lay hold upon the mighty arm of power. You may think that there is a natural talent, that there is ability, that there is resources, but none of that matters. What matters for a life of power is that you come and you hold on to the mighty arm of power. That's where you have power. Anyone know who this is? This is a, a preacher that lived in the 1800s. He died two years before Ellen White. He's not a Seventh-day Adventist minister. He was a minister in, the, I think, the Methodist Episcopal South uh, Church. And... But he was a man of prayer, powerful man of prayer. And, you know what, let me give you a little, can I give you a little pastoral counsel? Is that okay? Be careful what you read. Be careful what you read. There are so many books on prayer out there today that, you know, I, I even start to go through them and I think, no, no. This is a book that I would recommend, though. Power Through... Anyone know? Prayer. Prayer. <laughs> By E.M. Bounds. This is E.M. Bounds. E.M. Bounds. Power Through Prayer. There are several books that I could recommend. Maybe I'll do that tomorrow. Maybe I'll tell you a few books that have been rich gems to me in, in my study of prayer. But Ian Bounds was a powerful man of prayer. He only published two books before he passed away, and he wasn't very popular, but after he passed away, his books got, and his writings and his uh, journals got published in those things, and it became a, a very powerful movement in helping people understand the necessity of prayer. But when it comes to prayer and the work of God, it's just incredible the influence that he's had on countless numbers of ministers. Power Through Prayer is, is written primarily to ministers, but I believe it is a lesson book for, for many. But this is what he says. Ian Bounds, Power Through Prayer. This is right in the first chapter. It says, We are continually striving to create new methods, plans, and organizations to advance the church. 
or to advance your own life. We are ever working to provide and stimulate growth and efficiency for the gospel. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for what? Better men. What the church needs today is not more or better machinery, not new organizations or more novel methods. She needs men whom the Holy Spirit can use. Men of prayer. Men mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men. Men of prayer. I'm telling you, if you want to see God move, He's not going to move just through plans. He's going to move through you. He's going to work in your life. And he's going to give you a life of power as you give Him a life of prayer. And I want to, I want to if, if I can impress anything upon you today, is that there's no other way to have a life of power unless you have a life of prayer. I don't think it's an accident that you came to this seminar. And I pray that this will be a help and a strength to you. I'm going to stop here in just a minute because I want to spend time in prayer with you. Tomorrow we're going to look at time for prayer. We're not, I'm going to unpack this and we're going to get very practical in it. I'm going to show you some... I'm just going to show you an example of that. I'm going to show you how I do that in my own life. And you can glean from it. I'm not, I'm not going to give it as a model for you. I'm going to give it as an example for you to glean from. And we're going to, it's going to be very practical tomorrow. On Wednesday... We're going to be looking at making prayer work. There are several things where people say, Oh, I, I do pray, but I never see the answer of God. We're going to look at that. Mo, I would say that you should be able to see answers to your prayers. You know, most of the prayers I pray, I see an answer the same day. There's some things that I'm, I've been praying about for years too. But by faith, I'm claiming that God is going to answer in His way in His time. But we're going to talk about that, making prayer work. And then on Thursday, we're going to look at fervent prayer. I want to show you that prayer is more than a form. That there is an opening of the heart and life to God that is very intimate and close where you, you will sense that God is right there with you. Now, there have been times, I just want to say this, I'm not an extremist. And although I want to be extreme in prayer, <laughs> but not in the wrong way. There, Ellen White says there are times where the clouds of my words, I'm paraphrasing, despair are around you. And you may not sense or feel the presence of God, but even then, 
you can know by faith that his hand is upon you in that time of prayer. And that has been such a blessing for me so many times. I haven't felt it, but I said, Lord, I know you are here. And what that does to my soul, I can't explain. But we're going to look at that. So I want it to be very practical. And, and I want to see that we could see a mighty and powerful revival across this conference. We see how the Lord is moving. He'll move through Unlock Revelation as we're planning. I'm telling you, what's coming next with the Bible study reformation? I mean, it is just incredible. But none of it can work without the power of prayer. So let's learn the lesson from our Savior. So what I'd like to do, we just have a few moments here. I'd like for us to get into, well, you decide. Get into groups of two or three, or if you feel like you need to just bow your head alone and make that commitment. But I want to ask you to make a commitment today. I want to be a minister of the gospel if I didn't call for a decision, right? <laughs> How many of you would be willing to commit your life from this day forward to developing your life into a life of prayer? I want to make that decision. This isn't a decision for me to see or your neighbor to see. Commitments are easy to do this. But I'm asking that you would say, Lord, whatever it takes in my life, help me to have a life of prayer. Is that your decision? I want us to go to our knees and let's pray and make the Lord understand that we want His help to be an individual that has a life of prayer. So let's pray together. We'll spend a few moments in prayer, and then I'll close in prayer, and then we'll be done with our seminar today. Our Father in heaven, I know prayers are still ascending around this room. Yet, Lord, I want to thank you for being here with us today. Lord, the burden of my heart right now, I, I just plead with you. You've heard our commitments to you, Lord. I know that we cannot do unless you come, as the scripture says, both to will and to do within us for your good pleasure. Please do a work within us, Lord. Lord, forgive us of our failure. Forgive us of our weakness. Our, our spirits have been willing, but we have been so weak, Lord. Strengthen us for your glory. Strengthen us for the, the own, our own joy in our own lives, that we might have the joy and pleasure of heaven right here in this life now. Lord, I thank you for each one here. Lord, I pray that you'll bless them, them for having been here. I pray, Lord, that as we go through this week, that you will strengthen that conviction, strengthen that longing and yearning, that we would hunger and thirst after you. And that we would be satisfied 
only as we come into your presence. Lord, as we go through this day, I pray that you would put in the heart and mind of everyone here that reminder of that commitment to you. That they would be, as it were, an attitude of prayer throughout this day. And as we come together tomorrow, that every one of us will come and meet each other praying, having spent time with you. Lord, thank you. And I ask it in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.